1: Welcome to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with my good friend, uh, semi-frequent guest. What's this, eight or nine times now, Carl? Uh, Sounds about right. Something like that. Well, it'll be be more because uh, what you do is important. Carl Dixon is the publisher of CapturePlanning.com, the founder of Proplibrary.com. Uh, the owner of one of the largest groups of proposal people, probably the largest group of proposal people on LinkedIn uh, and those, you know, interested in, in, uh, in proposals. So find Carl on LinkedIn and you'll find his groups. Uh, Carl, welcome back to the show, man. It's always fun. Thanks, Mark. Um, Before, The uh, Before we started recording, I sent you a link to a company that reached out to connect with me. I don't want to mention the company, but over the last couple of months, I've had uh, at least a half a dozen invitations to review new companies or new offerings from companies purporting to take you through a complete proposal. Get it out the door and, you know, five minutes, five hours, five days, whatever. Uh, and, you know, increase your... Uh, actually, I don't know if any of them say they're going to increase your win rate. They're just saying they can crank these things out. So off the top of your head, <laughs> what's the value of these things? I love would love to compete
0: against them all. Um, <laughs> so no, fundamentally, AIs crave input. And if you give right now, all the input that they're getting is basically coming from from the web. Um, And in fact, when they produce drafts, proposal drafts, almost all the input is, is coming straight from the RFP. And I love to compete against people whose only insight into the opportunity and how to win it is coming from the RFP. I think that there's sort of a fork in the road with, with AI where if you go down the wrong path, you're kind of setting yourself up to lose everything and to do it at AI speeds. And so I think that the real challenge with AI ends up not being the technology at all. The real challenge is in developing your process to the point where you're getting the right input and the right um, insights into the customer and and the opportunity. And that's just traditional process, right? So it's kind of counterintuitive, but AI ends up making traditional process more important instead of less important. And these companies that are marketing themselves as, oh, you can skip all that process stuff and just spit out a draft,
1: I'd love to compete against them. I bet you would. <laughs> so um, you, Carl's sites, uh, proplibrary.com and captureplanning.com. Um, Prop library is the one that has a ton of content, but then there's gated content membership, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, Carl, Carl and I have known each other a uh, really long time. He is probably the most prolific person in the market. So, um, on on capture and and uh, proposal topics. Um, so, I I I think of him as like the godfather of of proposals uh, because every everybody I talk to about this knows who he is, but. The reason we're talking again today is over the last month or two, he's chomped out some articles that just really caught my attention, and I thought they'd be great content to share with uh, with those who listen to this. So, talk a little bit about five ways to use AI to improve your proposals. You've you've intimated this already. So. I
0: think that the idea that you should use AI to make your draft proposal is probably a step down the wrong path. I think that there is a ton of better ways to use AI, and that's really what I've been focusing on. So, you know, with, with AI, you can really um, enhance your content plans before you start writing. You can get all the ideas together and you can figure out what you want to talk about, how you want to present it at the content planning stage, bringing in not only what AI might know about your solution set, which in some cases could be a lot, in other cases, hardly any, Um, but not only dealing with the the solution set, you can also start to ask AI questions related to the customer opportunity and competitive intelligence you have. And you can start to list out all of the things that go into winning a proposal because the whole process is about discovering what it will take to win. And you can think about that and you have to do the traditional process stuff to discover that. Um, But then AI can help you take the intel that you gather and articulate it as instructions for the proposal writers and potentially after that, even use AI in some of the draft writing. But until you've got a set of specifications that fully account for what you want to write about, and how you want to present it, you're not ready to ask the AI to do a draft. Same way you're not ready to, for, for, for people to do the draft. So you can get a lot of inspiration from AI if you use it in that planning mode. Um, if you just tell it to do a draft and then you review the draft, to try and correct any AI hallucinations or anything the AI might not have thought of or left out. All you're doing is setting yourself up for the proposal death spiral, where you're just going to do revisions of the proposal all the way up to the deadline. And if you think that having an AI do your revisions faster is going to make you more likely to end up with a, winning proposal, because you did more revisions, I think you need to review that, because um, revising narrative is not the best way to develop strategy or to engineer a better solution. So using AI in that, you know, content planning phase for inspiration and to add detail, to enhance your your subject matter expertise. All of that's good, okay? Um, And using it as not just a research tool, but more than that, think of the AI like a subject matter expert. You want to interview it and get all the information that it can contribute to the proposal And you want to bounce ideas off of it and get inspiration and go back and forth with it. So think of AI more like a partner or another proposal contributor as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to give it the RFP and let it write the proposal, right? Because all that's doing is setting you up to lose. And keep in mind, you won't just be losing from you know proposal managers like me you'll be losing from other AIs that people have given better input to like me <laughs> you know w- you know when people start taking their intel and their process and working with the AI as a subject matter expert and a partner and preparing properly to go into the writing phase of the proposal they would that AI Will achieve a much better um, quality proposal than an AI that's been fed the RFP. Even if that AF, even if that AI had access to the entire internet, all right, it's still not going to have the insight that matters to the customer. And that's really who ends up mattering in all of this. It's not how fastly fast you can get to a proposal. It's how well you can please the customer.
1: Okay. I like that. We're, we're going to take. Um, you'll have to show me how to do this. Uh, that's on a, a different level. Um, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Carl Dixon. You can find Carl on LinkedIn. You can find him at proplibrary, P R O P library dot com, or CapturePlanning.com. I suggest you do all of the above. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Am Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Carl Dixon. Again, you can find Carl on LinkedIn. Uh do it. Start reading this stuff. Subscribe. Uh, and you'll get these uh articles on a regular basis. We're we're doing this show predicated on some articles that he has sent out recently. And I I'm a huge fan. I don't do proposals, but I love reading Carl's stuff. Uh number one, he's a great writer. Number two, He he's got, these are just chock full of ideas. So one of your uh, uh, articles recently was uh, a number of ways to determine if your proposal is any good. And it kind of follows right after our discussion of, of the AI. So take it away.
0: Okay. For some reason, it seems like the, the red team review gets all the love in the proposal process, Right. You know, you, you get into the proposal and it all becomes about, you know, maybe, maybe through a few steps, getting to red team and then having the red team review and getting the blessing of the powers that be and then finishing the proposal. And I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the best way to create a winning proposal. I think that the real focus should, should be on the content planning phase and in particular, the review of your proposal content plan, because that's when the proposal either goes well or it goes bad, is once you have that plan and you start writing. Now, here's the thing. Even if you don't have a content plan, that's the moment in time where things go well or go bad. It's not when you're in the middle of the writing preparing for red team. It's more like if you haven't thought through what should go into your proposal and how you want to present it down to the level where you know how you want to introduce things and you know what points you want to make and how you're going to prove them and how that's going to differentiate you and what you want the customer to conclude about it. If you haven't thought about those things, thought them through before you start writing, well, it's too late. What you're going to get is whatever the writer has on their mind at the moment. And you might have a, some pretty good writers, but you, but no single person is as good as somebody who has prepared, you know, no, you know, no single unprepared writer will ever be as good as a prepared writer. And that's what the content planning phase is all about. So you can tell what the quality of, of, the proposal is going to be by whether you've done a good job on, on the proposal content plan. And you can tell that if it actually accounts for everything you're going to write, or if it leaves things up in the air to figure out during writing, you can a, a real good clue. When you get to the writing phase, if your proposal writers are asking questions like, well, what should we be proposing here? then they haven't been fed a decent content plan. If they're asking questions like, what does this mean in the RFP? It very likely could be that nobody has read that part of the RFP yet. And so your content plan wasn't full and complete. Um, When you're doing a good job of content planning, the writing actually becomes a process of elimination. It's pretty straightforward. You sit down and right in front of you, you've got a set of specs for the document and they tell you things like how to introduce it and what points you need to make. And then the writer's job is simply to go out and do the research and articulate those proof points. Um, that should speed things up and make it much more easy, much easier for the writers. You know, Um Then there are some more advanced things that you can do with content planning, like things having to do with training and graphics, right? Um, risk mitigation and pulling all of your customer opportunity and competitive intelligence into the document and helping think through the proposal before you start writing and What I mean by think through is that this is a lot of stuff to keep in your head. You've got the RFP instructions, evaluation criteria, and, and performance requirements, as well as your customer opportunity and competitive intelligence, as well as the points you wanna make, Your you know uh, the data you're gonna use for your proof points. Holding all of that in your head is really, really difficult. But if you've got it mapped out, then it becomes a very orderly process. And that's when you see the shift where writers go from, we're spending too much time on this planning stuff. We need to start writing. And they make the shift into, thank God we have this all mapped out. Now I can just sit down and do it. All right? It's much easier. Well, once you've mapped it out, you better make sure that's correct. You better review it because if you go and build your proposal on a set of specifications that that are flawed or or have the wrong strategies, that's going to create a nightmare during proposal writing and, and the review process. So you need to do a review of your content plan in between the planning and the writing. That review is more important than the red team. That review is the one that says, yes, this is the proposal we want to have. And it says it before you've lost all that time spent on, on proposal writing. So that's the review that should get all the love, all the attention and focus. Um, and because that's where all of the pieces are, are itemized and you you know, functionally what you have is, is, is a proposal prototype. It's a very agile kind of process. If you think about it, all right, because you are collecting all of the pieces and then, um, you know, not just going into a, a review of them, but you're actually thinking as, as a team on what this thing should be and prototyping, And testing it with your review teams, and then in a very incremental sort of way, proceeding into the proposal writing, which is now not the big scary thing it used to be. It's now just an incremental step.
1: Okay. One part of that article, uh, there were several parts of that article that caught my attention. But um, one point was, does it help you avoid the death spiral? um, you know, explain that please. Okay. So a lot of, it depends on the nature
0: of what you offer, but if you are developing a unique solution to the requirements that the customer has, and you don't fully know those requirements until you see the RFP. So you might have something in mind, but you've got to test it against what's actually written in, in into the RFP. So a lot of companies that that don't know what's going to be in the RFP, that's when they start writing. Okay. They start developing their solution as part of the writing process. There's no difference really. All right. They write a proposal and solutioning is part of the writing. And th- that is a good way to ruin a perfectly winnable proposal because solutioning is a form of engineering. And when you write a narrative to describe something that you are going to implement or build and then the only way to review it is to to read the whole thing and the only way to improve it is to edit the whole thing. And this kicks off a revision cycle that that frankly becomes infinite. Right? People talk about having a red team, but really they have a red team review followed up by a redder than red team review to make sure that the big changes that they came up with get in there. And then they have a review that's even redder than that to ma- in order to to start final tweaking. And then they run out of time. They're at the deadline, and so they submit whatever they have, whereas what I advocate is to think through what you want that proposal to be and then build that, not try to discover it or trip over it by doing revision after revision, and that that, that revision cycle is the death spiral because, yeah, the deadline comes, and that's what you submit. That's it.
1: Cool. We're going to take a break. I have one or two more questions about this particular article. Mm-hmm. We'll pick them up after the break. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. Carl and I will return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Carl Dixon. Uh, we were talking about uh, ways to determine if your proposal was any good. One of his recent articles, uh, there was one more point I wanted to ask about, and uh and it's the you know the big question really does it produce does this process produce what it will take to win
0: that is the key question all right basically the entire proposal process is based on what it will take to win and the entire pre-proposal process is based on discovering what it will take to win and you're not going to get there by um, producing you know, narrative after narrative, doing multiple draft revisions and trying to insert things here and there to make it a little better. So in the content planning phase, you can actually itemize what it will take to win. You can itemize your strategies against the evaluation criteria. You can itemize your positioning against the competition you you can make sure that you've accounted for all of the instructions and performance requirements and then you know incorporate your customer awareness, you know any intel that you have about the opportunity. And once you have that and you build your win strategies out of them, then you can see whether you are confident that you actually have a winning approach to the proposal. And you can allocate it to to the proposal outline and across all of the sections to make the points you want and then prove that you are the customer's best alternative for this um, procurement. And you can see that in the content plan easier than you can see it in a draft narrative. Not only that, you can correct it in a content plan because a content plan is essentially it's a shell. It's just a collection of things at the bullet level that account for what you're going to talk about and how you're going to present it. So you can add to it very easily. Whereas in a narrative, you've got to slice it apart and move things around and it ends up taking forever to rearrange and fix a narrative. And you are never really sure whether you got it really tweaked well you know. But um, with the content plan, you can see whether what you have um, will produce what it will take to win before you start writing. And that's where, that's back to why that review is so critical. But it's always a good thing in a proposal when you can get to the point where you can see that you know what it'll take to win and that you've, accounted for it within the structure of the document before you actually start writing. That's why content planning ends up getting, being so important and having such an impact on your win rate.
1: Cool. Uh, all I should point out in, in that article, you have a, a, a link to a number of, uh, articles that you've written, some gated, some open on, uh, proposal content planning. Um, so thanks for that. Um, so many of your articles catch my eye and, you know, just absorb me, but branding is, is huge. Okay. And, um, even small companies are, are, you know, really paying more attention to branding and positioning, but you, you wrote an article recently called how branding can hurt your proposals. Take us through that, please. Okay. so,
0: Branding in a proposal takes on a completely different customer interaction than branding, say, in a brochure or on your website. And the way that a customer uh, receives and processes a proposal is, is very different. Your branding can actually, you know, it can actually hurt that process. So, 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 so here's how it works. Customer gets the proposal. They, you know, go to the instructions in the RFP and the evaluation criteria. They have forms that match that structure. And then they start comparing your proposal against it. And they're looking typically for strengths, maybe weaknesses. Um, but they're looking for things that match up with their scoring criteria. And you know when they find things, they 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 put them on the form. Well, where does your branding play in that? How does it impact that scoring process? Because that scoring process is what determines whether you win. And if your branding is aspirational fluff, then at best it's just getting in the way. It's getting ignored. It's not impacting the win or loss of your proposals. Okay. Well, what's the function and purpose of of, of branding and marketing if it's not to help with bringing customers into your sales funnel and closing more sales? Well, if if you're a company who's... You know, the vast majority of your revenue is coming from proposals, especially if you're a federal contractor where the evaluation is, you know, the way I described it, then shouldn't your branding impact your win rate? What kind of branding do you need in order to have it impact your win rate? and that's where i think especially government contractors but frankly any company that lives or dies based on its proposals that when 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 the subject of branding comes up that's really where they should start as well as where they should end and to go to um, the kind of branding that you see on tv is actually going to the wrong market that their branding is used completely differently so you know, I think that it's critical for companies that live or die by proposals to, to rethink their whole approach to branding um, so that it helps their proposals in, instead of, you know, getting in the
1: way. Okay, so basically what you're saying is uh, they they should be differentiating uh, in a way that, number one, separates them and their solution from the competition, but also supports the brand. So, the, how 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 important is differentiation in this branding uh, issue? So,
0: differentiation is essentially how you win or lose. Yeah, there's a scoring process involved, but with any scoring process, you know the customer is looking for the things that stand out, the things that make this proposal different from all the others and those things are either different good or different bad they're either strengths or weaknesses or and how well they match up with the evaluation forms that ends up determining you know win or loss so branding that um helps the customer you know see your differentiators and what makes you special, why you matter in a way that is scorable is the kind of branding that can help a contractor.
1: Cool. Um, I'm, I'm going to suggest something to you. Do an article with a couple of examples of, uh, of people who do branding in ways that supports the proposal process.
0: <laughs> I might have to embarrass people if I like,
1: No, no, no. Don't don't use the the bad examples. Use the good examples. (laughs) They're hard to find. Um, Yeah, they are. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Carl Dixon. Uh, Find him at Proplibrary.com, CapturePlanning.com, and on LinkedIn. And Carl and I will wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Carl Dixon of uh of captureplanning.com, proplibrary.com. Subscribe to Carl's newsletter. You'll get these uh these articles on a very regular basis. Um he posts them on LinkedIn as well, so follow him there. Um Carl, the the and I'm glad we we saved this as as kind of the wrap-up uh article. Uh, 10 things a customer might choose to do instead of accepting your proposal. So walk walk us through this, please.
0: Okay. In the uh, proposal department, they're used to thinking of win or loss as being one or the other, black and white. But in reality, it can get a little bit more complicated than that. Um, because, yeah, the customer actually doesn't have to do either one. All right. Yeah, they could like totally cancel the, the, the procurement. They almost never do that because it's such a pain um, and they want what they were procuring. But there are a lot of other things that they can do. And when we talk about um, proposal risk, some of these things should factor into your 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 proposal risk analysis. Um, because a lot of times when, when the, the idea of proposal risk comes up, people don't know what to think like proposal risk. What is that? We might lose, right? But there's more to it. So first off, all the proposals come in, the customer doesn't see what they really want. Now they got a problem. So they might choose to just do nothing. That would be the cancellation option. Or they might delay it, stretch things out um, because they they don't want to um, pull the plug on something that, that that isn't really what they want. So they might, in some cases, actually go ahead and cancel and then just do it internally. Some things are with it. There's some places where that's not possible, but there are some places where it is. Um, Oh, they could also do it over. They could just, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll cancel this one and we'll come out with a new RFP in a couple of months. They'll tweak it a little bit and, you know, go from there. Um, Try, you know, they might put out, you know, another source of thought and try to actually get to some more vendors if they don't like what they saw from the current vendors. Um, They also can start doing things like playing with the scope, making it smaller, making it larger, combining it with things or separating things out of it. Um, They could also not just instead of canceling it and reissuing it, they could actually cancel and incorporate it into something else different and better. Um, The longer it drags on, the more likely something like that is to to occur, especially with the pace of, of technology. They could also take a look at it and say, yeah that's a lot of money to spend for for proposals we don't like. So maybe they'll cancel it, tweak the scope and and come out with something cheaper or, you know, pick something cheaper Um, or they could just go into negotiations and lots of things can happen in negotiations to make changes. They could also do any or do a combination of the things that I've said. You know, they don't just have to do one thing and Ultimately, they could just choose somebody else, right? They, they've seen your proposal. They've seen what other people have. And um, yeah, they could go a completely different route. So it's not always as simple as you win or you lose. Sometimes you win, but it's smaller. Or sometimes you don't win or lose and it changes on you and those are where where, where your risks are because you go in with an offering that you're expecting it to be of a certain size shape um and complexity but it turns out to end up being something different and that totally upends your entire pricing strategy so, so there are other things that 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 can happen they in the in in the federal market thankfully they are rare um, in the B2B space, they happen all the time. Um, so, yeah, be prepared for the unexpected.
1: Okay. I, I want to take a little deeper dive in into one of these, the do it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you write if they haven't thought things through or they've written uh, a bad, uh, you say excessively bad RFP. Gee, that never happens. Uh, they have the option of just canceling and starting over. But if if it's a start over, you say, uh, maybe you can help. Will you take that a little deeper, please? <laughs> okay. At this phase in the
0: procurement, um, this is very challenging. But if you realize that the customer, because of the RFP they wrote, is having trouble getting what they actually need or want. And it shows in the proposals, including your own, because you had to follow the RFP, right? Then if you have the opportunity to discuss what they actually want and why this RFP doesn't get it for them, it's not just that they receive proposals they don't like, it's, yeah, they made some structural errors in how they, they, they set up the requirements in the RFP. And um, then if they cancel the procurement, then you might have a moment in time where, where you can talk to them and explain what those structural problems were and how they could change the requirements in order to get what they want. And if you can accomplish that, then not only will a better RFP come out, but it will be a better RFP that you helped influence. And that's a very good position
1: to be in. That's a great position to be in. Uh, Give me some final thoughts, brother. Okay. So
0: we started off talking about AI. AI doesn't change any of this. Any of the other topics that we talked about from the beginning, which just goes to show that the companies that are going to be successful are the ones that have solid processes. Not, you know, if you double down on your process now, that's how you prepare for, for AI when it's coming. So that you'll have this information and procedures for figuring out your proposal. And then AI just becomes icing on the top of that, that improves your competitiveness. How's that?
1: That's great. That is that is perfect. Carl, thanks so much, man. I always okay. appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. I enjoy it. I, I do as well. Podcasting, though, is not my day job. I operate at the intersection of thought leadership, content, and LinkedIn, helping companies and individuals to build subject matter expert positions in the federal market to build stronger pipelines. If you'd like to discuss this, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com or find me on LinkedIn and send me an email there. So please share this podcast with uh, people who will benefit and like it on the podcast platform of your choice. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've
0: been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.